Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer, everybody. Welcome to the show. If you're a first-time listener, this is a music and arts podcast that sometimes veers into activism or activists and social topics. Um, today, it's a music podcast. And if you like my theme music there today, that is the song Straight to Hell, a cover of The Great Joe Strummer by Xander Schloss. And he is my guest today. And God damn it, this is a really great episode. Uh, Xander, actually, I met Xander years ago. I used to work at a bar in downtown L.A., Bar 107. He and Sean Walker, Wheeler, sorry, would play there every Sunday. And uh, it's weird because <laughs> I dealt with him every week. And then suddenly now he's on my podcast. And who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? If you don't know Xander, he was in such bands as the Circle Jerks, the Weirdos, Thelonious Monster, played with Joe Strummer, was Joe Strummer's musical director, really great guy, and his solo music is effing fucking incredible. Uh, I really, really, really like his stuff. We talk about it. Um, any information about Xander and where to find his the things we talk about in the show will be in the show notes. So if you want to find his Instagram or his record label Instagram or the Joe Strummer charity that this music, the f money from the opening song goes to that, uh, it'll be in the show notes. And real quick, um, I don't usually do this in the opening, but I'm on a time crunch because I recorded this uh, podcast last night with Xander, and then I have to edit it and get it out so it goes up today, Wednesday morning, or if you're listening to this five years from now, five years from now, you'll be li it doesn't matter. Um so I don't usually say, but if you can rate and review the show on iTunes, that would help me out greatly. If you want to subscribe, that would help me out even more. Tell your friends about the show. And if you really like the show, become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash conversations with Dwyer. Go to the mattdwyer.com for links to any of all this stuff I'm babbling about. That being said, this is a great episode with Xander. Uh, really funny, great stories. And great insights. And great. There. That's it. Here's the conversation. I started a business in COVID that I call Intruder Sticks. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I've just been making these, these really, like, spiked kind of, like, pointed edges intruder sticks and that's my new business in, in COVID. <laughs> so. That seems like it's, you know, the way things are going, it seems like everybody's going to need a COVID stick. Yeah. Hey everybody. Uh, visit my, uh, my new website, intruder sticks by Xander. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to assume you wrote the jingle yourself. Hmm. Intruder sticks, intruder sticks. <laughs> Come get your intruder sticks. Watch out! <laughs> I, I did you. You've written slogans, right? Or is, or not slogans? Uh, jingles. Yeah, I mean, I would say that uh, Carl's Disco Wiener Tina Haven. You know, the, the salty ketchup is definitely a a jingle from from my wieners. That's right. I was watching that video yeah. just the other day. Yeah, which I don't know. If we're, are we doing the interview now? Yeah, I always just go right into it. I should have told you that, but I always just like to... Nah, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and that was your idea yeah. to do that. That wasn't in the script, right? No, it was actually Joe Strummer's idea. Oddly enough, if you want to get into it, you know... Um, yeah, Joe Strummer. I, I arrived at the Almeria Hotel uh, uh, in Spain, and I had met Joe before when I was doing some ghost guitar work on the Sid and Nancy soundtrack in London. And I think it was pretty close to when the clash broke up, and Joe was not in a very good mood. But I met a very, very different Joe Strummer in the in the lobby of the Almeria Hotel. And before I could even pack, you know, bring my bags up to the hotel room, he's like, "Hey." Your character, Carl the Wiener Man, needs a, a song to sell his wiener. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So we sit down to write the, the song in the lobby before I had even, you know, brought my bags up to my room. 
And uh, you could kind of tell the, 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 the lines that Joe wrote and the lines that I wrote. Like, you know, I'll wrote, you know, uh, uh, you know, he would write something like, you know, there ain't nothing meaner than a wiener from Pasadena. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that's great. A Carl's Disco Wiener Tina Haven, you know. And, you know, you will not find nothing in Lena than your mean chili beaner. <laughs> and I'm like, that calls Disco Wiener Tina Haven. And they, they, like, I'd be like, oh, sizzle, they grizzle. You step up to the griddle, saucy ketchup, you tell me about fetch up. Those were all mine. But you could tell in the next verse, it's really Joe. Yeah, I, I say, well, they're short and they're long. And he says, and they taste quite strong. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, goes into the, you know, girls and the Chevys coming in from the levees because he, he loved those old Cadillacs and Chevrolets and stuff. But anyway, so yeah, no, that was, that was a co-write between myself Joe Strummer and a, a guy named Miguel Sandoval. And did Miguel Sandoval also work on uh, Walker, or am I mistaken? Yes, he's one of Alex's troop uh, of actors. Uh, uh, you know, so I've had a lot. I've I've, I've had a lot of uh, Miguel encounters. He was Archie, one of the gang members, the punk gang members in Repo Man, and then he went on to. Uh, play the pharmacist in straight to hell. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, also he, uh, he was uh, one of Cornelius Vanderbilt's uh, guys. Um, or no, I'm sorry. I, I may have that wrong. He, he was somebody in Walker okay. as well. That's, uh, and uh-huh. I think he was on, uh, he was in uh, the first Jurassic park. I think you're right because I looked it up on IMDb. Are you looking at IMDb right now? I'm paying attention. I just, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. I, <laughs> I always cruise the internet during my interviews. It's very rude. No, I just wanted to make sure I knew who he, I wasn't mistaking him or I had his work correct. Yeah. Well, that's Miguel. I mean, you know, hey, Miguel. Uh, you're out there. <laughs> <clears throat> Now, had you, before you started doing Alex Cox movies, had you ever acted before? Or was that even something Funny you... you should say that. Yeah. No. <laughs> was that something... Actually. Something you had ever thought about, or was it just did happen and you're like, sure? I don't know. I've been goofing off all my life, and I, I you know, I don't really don't take it that seriously, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I find when I got, get, got on set with all the so-called actors they all take it so seriously and it's like dude you just goof off like all you really have to do is like fucking hit your marks say the lines and make some fucking faces you know what i mean (laughs) i don't consider it high art you know but you know whatever then you get your guys like al pacino who was like great until he started his his outburst phase where he was like ha you know, everything was outburst after a while. I, I guess that was scent of a woman damage, but whatever. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah, I was interested when uh, the Irishman came out. I was like, is Scorsese going to be able to reel him in, or is he going to be as big and weird as always? Right. Um, well, I think they could have avoided having fucking these guys like age to about a hundred years in the course of three hours. I mean, you know, can we just take them up to like 80 and then have them die? (laughs) It's you too in repo man. I forget what your character's name was, but, uh, it was the nerd, but I've read that, uh, Chris Penn was originally cast. How bad. And you everything I read about Chris Penn in that movie was like, he was huge and really bad. As like, was he, was he that, did you see any of that? Well, yeah, I was originally, uh, so Alex wanted me to do music for the film. And I originally met Alex down at UCLA film school. Uh, I used to go down there, um, and put up little flyers saying, Hey guys, I'll score your film for free. You know? And, uh, that's how I kind of, you know, got into to doing music for films. You know, I did a couple of student films down there and I met Alex and 
At the time, I was in a band called the Juicy Bananas, which uh, actually appear on the, the Repo Man soundtrack. But Alex really originally wanted me for music, but I, I became uh, friends with Alex. Now, here's the thing, you know, there's a bit of nepotism involved. He was going out with my stepsister, Abby Wool, who uh, is uh, also a filmmaker, and she made Roadside Profits um, and was a co-writer of Sid and Nancy. Um, but anyway, so me and Alex became friends, and, you know, I was hanging out quite a bit with Alex, and I think he was really I, – I would come home from my grocery store job with stolen – you know, groceries and stuff. And at, at one point, Alex and I were kind of living together in, in the repo man office. And I, I tell him stories about my menial jobs and how it's like climbing the ladder to, to management and stuff like that, you know? And I think Alex was really basing that character on me. So anyway, they cast me in the role of Kevin, um, as I was a production assistant on the film as well. He gave me a little job, like, picking up cigarette butts on the lot. But uh, they cast me, and then the same day, they uh, they told me uh, at the end of the day, they said, oh, we're sorry, we, we made a mistake. Chris Penn's agent just uh, negotiated a deal for Chris to, to do the role, and so you won't be playing Kevin. I was like, fuck you guys, you know, I am Kevin the nerd. I'll fucking show you. And... Uh, so I was actually like a production assistant. I was there when Chris was, was doing the scene. I was like, this guy fucking sucks. I mean, you know, sorry, rest in peace. Chris. <laughs> like, but it sucks. And so later on, I was supposed to, to uh, I, I, I delivered the dailies, which are the, you know, the whatever footage they'd shot through the day to do a screener for uh, Michael Nesbeth of the monkeys, who was the ex executive producer and Alex. And I was lurking around the corner when I heard Michael Nesbeth say, what the fuck, Alex, this guy is terrible. What are we going to do? And Alex was like, well, originally I was going to, you know, cast Xander in the role. And, uh, you know, uh, and Michael Nesbeth said, well, why don't we give him a shot? But they didn't tell me until like a couple weeks later. So I continued to pick up cigarette butts on the lot and I came back to the set. Uh, I had shaved my head into what uh, is now pop a popular hairdo, the faux hawk. Um, and I thought, what would Kevin the nerd do? Somebody who's kind of like a poser, wannabe punk. He would give himself a mohawk, but not shave the sides all the way down. Um, and I believe that I, I I was the originator of the faux hawk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that going on your tombstone? The originator of the faux hawk rests <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah. Um, did because I remember reading that uh, that Strummer was the one who was who said like you you're really great at guitar. What are you wasting your time playing bass? Do you feel like that was a, a a a changing moment in your career, or were you already headed that way? Well, you know it's funny because when I you know got into the Circle Jerks, I remember the day, and this is going to sound like some Dickensian story or some kind of like you know pulpy like comic or something. But I was walking down to the street counting pennies for burrito, and I had been living in a ten by ten office with no phone, no TV, no bed, you know, basically just a desk and a brick wall outside for a hundred bucks a month. Kind of, it, I think it was on the corner of, uh, it was on Hollywood Boulevard between Ivar and Cosmo. And, uh, I walked out in the street and this car pulls up and says, Hey man, the circle jerks are, are looking for a bass player. And I was like, why the fuck are you talking to me? And they're saying, kid, you look like you could use a gig. And so, uh, they gave me the number. I called up uh, the guitar player in the Circle Jerks and he said, learn three songs. And I said, three songs? I'll learn all fucking three records. I don't fucking give a shit. <laughs> um, but anyway, I really wasn't a bass player. I had a bass, uh, which was a, a like a vintage Fender uh, fretless bass, jazz bass. And so I learned three records and I came in and auditioned on my on my fretless jazz bass. And when the, 
I guess it was the end of the day and the circle jerks were tired of, you know, auditioning people and there's probably about 50 people. And so uh, they asked me why I wanted to be in a punk rock band. I said, well, man, I've been playing in this band called the Juicy Bananas down in the Compton Watts area for the last couple of years. And I don't know, man, I'm afraid that that funk and, you know, R&B, all, you know, you know, black music is never going to make any money. I want to join a punk rock band and get rich. <laughs> <laughs> and I think they all thought that was the dumbest thing they'd ever fucking heard. <laughs> But uh, no, I was originally a guitar player, you know, from from St. Louis, Missouri, and learning like Bob Dylan and Neil Young and all the you know singer songwriter stuff. Um, came out to L, uh, you know went to high school in San Diego and got into Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and wanted to be a guitar hero. And then my last years of of high school, I started getting into jazz, and I lived with my jazz teacher for a year and studied jazz, and then went to music school. I'm going to pull my covers here. I went to Musicians Institute, <laughs> um, which is notorious for, for not being a, a legitimate music school. <laughs> but I had already learned everything that I needed to know from my jazz teacher. Um, and, you know, I just kind of wanted to, to get into a band and, like, start touring and making records and stuff. I didn't care what it was. Does, did uh, Having a jazz background and then... Did it seem? Did that make it easier to learn all those uh, punk songs? Like it, because like you play jazz and then punk. It, those are worlds apart, and not to demean punk, but it's quite a lot simpler. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I don't mean I don't mean to sound like a like a like a like a jerk, but like well, I am a jerk, a circle jerk, but <laughs> um, I could shit a punk rock song out of my ass. I've, <laughs> do you because I, I, you've said in interv- other interviews that you your views on punk aren't uh, well received among punk fans and is that sort of sum it up that you could shit it out your ass well maybe I mean it doesn't you know it, it does I will say this it does require some accuracy when you're playing that fast you know what I mean and I don't really whack away at it. I, I play with, you know, finesse and, and technique and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's really difficult to do it right. And the circle jerks do have some merit in um, writing really fun, socio-political, you know, uh, and fast kind of ripping tunes. So, you know, the challenge is mostly endurance and technique, you know. Yeah. But, uh, no, I think... I think my views are unpopular of, of punk rock music because, I mean, I can, you know, remember, and I would say that they're so unpopular that they're punk, like anti-punk kind of punk. I'm not, I don't necessarily consider myself a punk, but I do have a, a fuck everybody and everything kind of attitude, so I guess I am a punk, and I, you know, played with Joe Strummer and Circle Jerks and the Weirdos and you know, a lot of bands that would be considered punk. Um, so I guess I am a punk. Sorry. <laughs> My mistake. <laughs> you know, plus all the work that I've done with Alex Cox, who you interviewed last week, and is definitely, I, if he's not a punk, he certainly is a rebel and a, you know, uh, a very guerrilla style uh, artist. Yeah, that's what it always seems more to me, like the DIY and the fuck it, we're just going to do this thing and do it do it with what you can. It seems just as, you know, that's the attitude that I've always taken from it, and I've seen that influence multiple forms of art and ways of doing shows and whatnot. Well, I don't think that anybody really back then would have known, oh, my God, we're doing something really special, and this is going to be purveying in all corners of pop culture in the future, in fashion, in magazines, in films, in everything. It's just going to be the biggest cultural movement ever since the 60s. I don't think anybody would have thought that, you know? Right. Were you glad to get away with from punk when you started working with Joe Strummer? Well, 
I wouldn't say I got away from it. I would say that I kind of graduated to almost an upper echelon of, of like, you know, the origin of, of where punk came from. Because, you know, playing in a, you know, Southern California hardcore group, you know, and a seminal one at that, you know, it's it's like, uh, you know, well, Joe Strummer just asked you to be his guitar player and, and moved to, to London. And I'm like, oh. You know, if anybody has a fucking problem with that, uh, let me know. But uh, I'm going. Um, and I would say that Joe's, you know, he's on the plaques for good reasons. He he was a socially conscious guy and a very, very generous guy with, with people and, and time, his time, and super curious about not just muse, all music, but everything. And I kind of learned more how to be a, a real punk rocker from, from Joe than I did, uh, you know, anybody in, in the Southern California hardcore scene, you know. How was it playing in the Latino rockabilly war? Because I've heard that there were some pretty... Uh, Alex told me he saw some shows that were, like, done in remote areas and pretty fucking crazy. Well, my original, my first tour with Joe with the Latino Rockabilly Billy War was a thing called uh, Rock Against the Rich, and uh, uh, or the Anarchy Tour, which I think he had done another something of that sort before with the Clash or whatever. Um, but you know, basically, uh, the Anarchy Party was this group of guys that were uh, lobbying to get a seat in parliament for the anarchy party. And their whole thing was, you know, we go, we go around and I, I'd watch these guys like throw bricks through people, you know, fine manners, windows and Rolls Royces, smashing the windows of Rolls Royces and beat the shit out of cops. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. We did play stuff like, you know, uh, benefits for uh, incarcerated coal train robbers and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, it was super, super fucking cool, you know. And uh, I just was kind of, um, you know, like, wow, these guys are going around beating up cops. And then one of them invited me back to their so-called squat. You know, everybody's on the dole night, you know, it's like we got this, you know, squat. And I'm like, this ain't a fucking squat. You got gold fixtures on the, on the sink and hot and cold running water and electricity, electricity. Where's the fucking bonfire in the middle of the room and the fucking box of goat. You know what I mean? This, this is, this is not a squat, but anyway, so yeah, that was my first tour with Joe and it was quite gritty. Um, I got punched in the face so hard that walking down the street in Manchester that it felt like I got struck by lightning. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm curious because you spent time in Nicaragua doing the soundtrack for Walker and also uh, just like working on the film, right? Yeah, I played a soldier of fortune, a Prussian soldier of fortune, and I could... I was down there for three months, but if, if you blink your eyes, you'll, you'll miss me in the film because of like, I don't know, they shot hundreds and hundreds of hours of footage. And then, uh, I might've gotten edited out of there a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, we, you know, I mean, talk about, you know, it was crazy, dude. We were down there during the civil war that was happening between the Contras and the Sandinistas you know, Contras being backed by the U.S. government. Um, and there was, we were hanging out with the National Guard and the Sandinistas and all the Cuban advisors and gonzo journalists and, you know, Russians and stuff like that. It was fucking crazy, dude. Yeah, because it, it was there, there were times where you guys were fearing for your life. Wasn't there, weren't there, because of the war going on? Well, yeah, and Alex would 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 frequently pose the question. So, if the if if the American army comes through the jungle right now, will you pick up a gun and fight, or will you run through the jungle? <laughs> <laughs> what was your answer? I said, I don't know. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it. <laughs> was was Alex? I don't know. 
Alex going to pick up a gun? I fucking doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy to death, but you know what I mean? I, I, come on. When push comes to shove and you're like forced to kill somebody, I mean, you know, could you do it, Matt? No. I mean, I guess if I had to protect my family, but I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. I hope this is a question I never have to find the answer to. Yeah, I don't know. I was kind of like watching World War Two in HD last night. I, I was, you know, really binging on on uh, World War Two. I'm a real, I love World War Two stuff. You know, I just think that that was such a fucking crazy, crazy time and like such a important, you know, war. And I like to get all the, you know, the dates and the, you know, places like kind of like in an order that I can understand. But man, so much carnage and people, you know, you had to kill. You had to kill like just piles and piles of Japanese people and, you know, Germans and fuck, dude. I don't know if I could do it, man. I don't, I would be one of those guys who would have returned from World War II just completely bonkers if I saw stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I'd already seen some pretty hairy stuff in my life, and if I had to see like extra, like that every day, you would, you'd, I'd lose my, I'd lose my shit. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're talking about protecting your family. I just, before we had this phone call, there's, we, I have a big backyard, and, and there's been some coyotes that have been coming around and shitting, and they, it's basically a killing field down in my yard. There was some ripped up, uh, decaying, you know, corpse of a, of a possum back there. And my cat is fucking freaked out. And I just walked outside and there was a full grown coyote trying to jump over this 10 foot fence in my backyard. And I was about to pick up my intruder stick and start, you know, beating this coyote because I'm protecting my cat. And I, and I talked to my landlords about it, and I said, you know, they have a little cute little three-year-old daughter, Zoe, and I thought, let's catch this coyote, put him on a stake, um, torture him, hack <laughs> off a few limbs, and then torch him in front of my cat, Wolfie, and your little three-year-old daughter, Zoe. How about we do that? <laughs> so, you know, and send a message to the other coyotes. <laughs> Yeah, that's the way it's got to be done. Right? So it sounds like a good idea in the moment when you're, like, pissed because your cat won't come home and, you know, it it won't even come home to eat. But uh, I wouldn't do that to a coyote. I wouldn't do that to, to anybody or anything. Yeah. Um <laughs> It would be, I, yeah, I, I, I've had to, you know, I feel guilty when I kill a bug. So I kill it, but yeah. I, st- I still feel, I don't feel great about it. Um, well, well, what if you ate the bug afterwards? Oh, yeah, I would do that. Then that justifies it. You know what I mean? It. And then it justifies it. You know, you had to, to eat the, you were hungry, you had to eat that bug. And I would honor its spirit, as, as some mm-hmm. beliefs do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what do you bugs th- go to heaven? <laughs> no, yeah, everybody goes to heaven. Um, do you, do you believe in heaven? Am I going to go to heaven? Oh, yeah, I was asking if you believe in it, but uh, uh, that's it. I don't know. I don't look. There's there's a few great mysteries that I don't even try to figure out. As I get older, I you know I, I think to myself. Well, don't try to figure out things that are confusing, you know, like people that are confused. Don't waste your time, you know, and, you know, energy trying to figure out things that don't make sense. And there are a a few great mysteries like, you know, God, which heaven falls under that umbrella. Uh, What happens to us after we die? And I have to say it, love you know, love is a great mystery too, or else we wouldn't keep writing about it and making movies about it and writing songs about it and stuff. So, you know, you tell me. I don't know. I don't fucking know. Like, I, more and more, I'm finding that there are two types of people. There are people that I call politicians, and they seem to have the answers. They have these definitive answers that, if you really look at it, 
it serves their agenda and their people's agenda. And then there are the people that are called what I call philosophers that don't fucking know the answers, but have great questions and are curious, you know? So I think I fall into the, into the philosopher category. Therefore the answer, long answer to your short question is I don't fucking know. (laughs) (laughs) That's the attitude I take about most things because I just feel like I'm wrong all the goddamn time. Uh, Why do you, I find it interesting that you started doing solo stuff after a long career. Uh, You, after like you worked with Sean uh, Wheeler, right? Yeah. What took, why did you, did you wait so long or what was, why suddenly did you decide, fuck it, I'm going solo? Well, one of the reasons is I I kept on giving Sean some songs that I think were maybe a little too rich for his blood and sophisticated. And um, it was like uh, he wouldn't do anything with them. And I thought, well, my songs are my children, you know, these poor orphan children that are being, you know, um, you know, um, uh, you know, sort of like not taken care of. And, you know, so I took back my children and I said, I'm going to take care of you kids. Don't worry. I'm here now. And I, I kind of wrote, started writing lyrics to a lot of these, uh, ideas that, that Sean was, was not resonating with. Um, that's, you know, that's part of it, you know, and you could say, as in many bands, when you ask the question, why did you guys break up? artistic differences <laughs> that's, that's that's the nice short answer to it you know I don't want to fucking go into a, a, a rant about you know uh, Sean or any other of the, the fucking prick lead singers that I've worked with <laughs> I, and uh, you had never really sung? Had you sung before? Had you done backing vocals? Or was this like the first time you were like full front f- front guy singing? Full frontal? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I had done some backup singing with Sean, and, and, uh, and I used to play like one or two songs per set and I, I, that I would sing on my own. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, Sean was a song and dance man. I'm I'm a... I'm a writer, you know, and, you know, I really enjoy the craft of, of writing songs and making them. I, I love it. And that's why I do it. You know, um, you know, whether I have people dig my voice or, or my, uh, act, you know, I'm not dancing around and, you know, telling jokes and stuff. I'm capable of doing that stuff, but, you know, I thought it was, it was really time for me to, stop being so precious and, 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 uh, you know, take a chance. Um, because it is a very vulnerable thing to get up there and sing and play lyrics that you've written and, you know, singing, you know, singing alone and playing a guitar and stuff like that. It's a really fucking ballsy thing to do. I think much more ballsy than being in a punk rock band, you know? Um, it was time. Yeah, this, this song, the Sin of Wasting Time, is just incredibly beautiful. And Oh, thank you. I, it's, I've, I, I've been listening. To, it's my uh, dog walking song because I don't get to listen to shit at home <laughs> these days. So, but I've just put it repeatedly on, and it's, it's just there's so much. I can't even articulate it. It's just gorgeous, and it really just takes oh. you to this... Uh, but it takes me to another world. It's like you can. It's almost like I'm living in a movie. Yeah, you know, and all my work in, in you know, cinema, making um, music for films, you know, and stuff like that. I kind of like got to this point where it's like, well, you know, maybe let's explore a different power of music, which is in space and uh, kind of re- reducing things to their most necessary. Uh, state, you know, and my, my rule as a songwriter is, is it true? Is it necessary? You know what I mean? And is it beautiful? You know what I mean? And, and, and in creating space in the songs, it, it allows people to really kind of transcend in, into the tune and, and, you know, uh, dream, you know, uh, you know, 
and that's what it does to me. You know, it's 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 really it's crazy. You know, because music is just a series of notes and vibrations and words and all this stuff, but it's it's so fucking powerful. You know, when when it comes together in just the right formula. You know. Yeah, I'm always curious about why some artists, when they play, you know, people can play well, but then there's those people who play the same song, and it's like they take you to another world. And I'm like, what? How do they click into that? Or what is that magic? Because, you know, it's the same notes, it's the same whatever, but it's just like this magical power. And I don't, I'm like, I'm, I can, like, I know it's something I could never do. Do you, could, is there any insight on that you could get? I know that's a sort of obscure question, I guess. Well, it's funny because there's this guy, uh, and I'll give him a shout out. Hey, Freddie French in uh, Chicago. Um, he's a truck driver, um, and he's, he's a fan of my music and stuff and a good, a dear, dear friend. Um, and he asked me, like, well, what happens, you know, when you, when you play your song? Do you go into a trance? And I'm like... No, like the best thing that you could hope for is is just to fucking disappear, meaning you're not thinking about anything, you know what I mean? And you're just uh, you know, you've you've got the song under under your finger, so you're not thinking about playing guitar. You know the meaning of the lyrics, so you're not thinking of projecting any kind of emotion um <laughs> or anything. You're just you're not thinking about singing. You're not playing. You're thinking about playing. You're not even there, you know? So just fucking disappear. And I think that's where a lot of the magic comes from, you know, is the ability to evaporate into what you're doing. Yeah. And and you're using this new single, Straight to Hell, as a jumping off, or to, is the introduction to your label that you're doing, correct? Well, not just, but yes, you know, I've started a new label called Piece of Pie with my friend uh, Tom Carolyn, uh, a really, another really great guy. And I'll give you a backstory on, on Tom as well, just to, you know, go off on a little tangent because I like to do that. <laughs> um, Tom was one of, um, he was the head of A&R at Atlantic Records when I met him, like in the mid-90s, and I was shopping a record um or shopping for a record deal with a band that I had put together called the Low and Sweet Orchestra with James Fernley from the Pogues and Dermot and Kieran Mulroney, the, the, the Mulroney brothers. Um, but at any rate, Tom wanted to sign a uh, Low and Sweet Orchestra to Atlantic Records. And, um, you know, we had the, the dinner at Dantana's and, you know, surf and turf and all that kind of stuff. And it looked like we were going to be signed to Atlantic. And then uh, Tom gave me a personal phone call and said, hey, man, I got to tell you that um, my contract is up at, at Atlantic and I'm being um, I'm being uh, courted at Sony Records. And look, I, I, I can't sign you to Sony because I kind of got to get my feet you know, planted in, in, in Sony. And I don't want to sign you guys to Atlantic records and leave and throw you to the dogs. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? He's like one of the only people. And I've met a lot of people in the major music, in the major uh, music industry. He's one of the, he, he, maybe he is the only person who was ever honest with me. <laughs> and so cut, cut forward. Um, I ran into Tom at a, a, a uh, uh, festival called the Arroyo Seco Festival, and we became friends again. And uh, you know, me and Tom started this label, Piece of Pie Records, um, which you can follow on Instagram and Facebook and blah 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 for for upcoming news and releases. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, you know. Straight to Hell is is the first single to come out on Piece of Pie Records, but that's not the reason why I did it. You know, actually, I was asked to do this um, uh, benefit concert for the Joe Strummer Foundation uh, by a guy named Jesse Mallon, who does this this uh, tribute uh, at the Roxy every year called uh, Gates of the West, and so I uh, came up with a, a, an arrangement of. Uh, 
of Straight to Hell, which I used to love to play with Joe Strummer on stage when I was uh, his guitarist and musical director. I came up with an arrangement, like kind of like a finger picking uh, arrangement of it. And believe you me, I have Julian Udall's book with Joe's face on the cover uh, staring up at me from the coffee table. And I was looking at that picture while I was doing it and seeing if, if Joe would give me his, his blessings from heaven. <laughs> um, and he did. And so, uh, you know, that was the, that was the formation of, of the tune. And then, uh, you know, Tom saw me play uh, the song, Tom Carroll and my, my record company partner and friend. And he said, dude, um, why don't we go into the studio to record this? Um, I know it doesn't have anything to do with your, your you know, uh, debut solo release. Song about songs, available. No. <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with, with that, but it's like, uh, honestly, dude, most of the reason why I'm putting this out now is because I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's a lack of leadership and social consciousness. I um, totally agree are, with you. Oh, you're not going to correct me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can, I just um, don't, won't believe it. And a lot of people are, are I see a lot of, of, of uh, trending towards, towards Joe Strummer and his ideology and social consciousness. And, you know, he's not only on, on the plaques as, as being a, a, a great artist that we, we recognize for, for the great music of the clash, but he's up there because, you know, of who he was and how he, um, what he thought and some of the things that he said, you know, concerning, you know, social issues and, and people, you know, like without people, you're nothing. I mean, I myself fucking think people are fucking repulsive and I hate their fucking guts, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, certain people you will see without those people, you are nothing, you know, and there's a handful of great people, but um, in saying that, you know, I think that, you know, we're seeing a lot of people that are spreading a lot of lies and a lot of confusion and, uh, and creating chaos and insecurity in the world when there's already this fucking huge thing that's going on with the pandemic. And it's like, dude, you know, and unemployment and Black Lives Matter. And aren't we insecure enough? You know what I mean? Um, aren't we scared enough? Can, can we admit that we're frightened? Can we admit that we lack leadership? Can we, can we sort of like reach out to the people that, that may uh, agree with us and, you know, try to, to um, give them something that's, um, I don't know, comforting and healing, like my single straight to hell now available <laughs> on all streaming services. Um, like honestly, it's like the message in there. It's and, and, and you know, like I, I like I said, Alex Cox um, is is going to be doing the the video for it. He is doing the video. I just got the the latest cut, and it's going into uh, get you know color corrected and blah blah blah. And that's going to be coming out on Joe's birthday on uh, August twenty first. Um, but um. You know, the the imagery that, that Alex is putting on it, I filmed the, the video on a green screen at my buddy Anthony Padoni's apartment and uh, <laughs> then sent, <clears throat> sent the performance footage, which, by the way, I'm performing in mask and rubber gloves, that finger-picking part. The whole time I have rubber gloves on. <laughs> um, also, to make a statement, I'm not trying to, you know... To, to cause any more division or something, but I am making a statement and saying, Hey motherfuckers, let's flatten the goddamn curve. So for selfish reasons, I want to get back on the road, you know what I mean? And play in live venues, you know, for people again. Um, and then there's other reasons like it makes me sad that, that people are not thinking of other people, more vulnerable people's health and welfare. Like, what the fuck, you know, what happened, you know, 
and I thought to myself, well, no, you know what, Xander? This is no different than anything else in history. And Alex, like getting back to Alex's imagery, it, it reflects it. Going from the cotton fields into, uh, you know, uh, Vietnam and, you know, the invention of the, the, the nuclear bomb and all this shit and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, um, oh, God damn it, I lost my point. I got, I got off it. Uh, people not thinking of others and how maybe this is the way it's been all along. Oh yes, that's the way it's been all along. And I'm here. Here's a here's an unfounded theory: hate and selfishness is doing push-ups as love and generosity are doing push-ups and working out. And that's the balance. And so we're seeing a lot more hate and we're seeing a lot more selfishness, but we're also seeing a lot more love and a lot more generosity. I'd say it's about half and half. And I think it's always been half and half and sad to say that I think it may always be half and half. Yeah. A lot of the things that have been happening in the past, well, especially since the pandemic and, uh, but when I was hoping that this would be a moment where people would realize that they have the the power over the economy and that people would be like, hey, the workers are the are the economy and we can use this to our benefit and get better wages and, you know, all that. And then people started bitching about haircuts. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> it's like we could have used this moment as a pivotal turning point And it just got obliterated. Well, yeah, and it's like, you know, people are more into virtue signaling, you know, about their alignment with, with causes that are, are righteous, even on the, the, the side of right, you know, I'm disgusted, you know. Um, and, of course, you know, people, you know, on the, and we never heard about left and right sides. We never heard about this side or that side. We were fucking Democrats and Republicans, we had a party that we voted for, but it's like the left and the right now. It's become a trend to 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 you know uh, create division and, and you know and everybody's a fucking political expert now, and everybody is woke now. And now I'm going on a rant, and now I sound like a fucking old man. <laughs> I don't understand the kids. The music that the kids are playing today, and I don't. I want the trash cans to move back up to the curb, and don't tramp on my flower my flower bed. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's a, conf- a confusing time. I'm, you know, I, and to top it off, it's just hard to keep your uh, mental wits about you. Like I'm, I struggle with not falling into depression and. Um, googling how to tie a noose yeah no i can i can dig it you know what i mean and you know what you're doing what you can do and what you can do is whatever it is that you can do now you know what i mean this is happening there are no fucking take backs um and i too would have thought gosh you know this is a great time for people to reflect and Maybe no, like because of the virus is, is is a worldwide pandemic that we're all in this together and we're all on the same level and we all need to help one another. And you know what? No, no, more fucking selfishness, more fucking just fucking. I you know, and there's a reason why I'm I'm so disgusted with humanity. You know, on the whole. And I have friends that are forward-thinking and progressive and intelligent, you know, and we have discussions about it, and it's lovely, you know? I think a lot of the problem is is ignorance and fear and all this, this, this fucking lies and all this fucking, these little messes that Trump is making. He's like a little puppy that goes over here and he rips up the newspaper and then he goes and pisses in the corner and then he knocks the fucking cereal off the counter and shits <laughs> on the bed. You know what I mean? And it's just like every day there's something else. And accumulatively, it's fucking driving us all crazy. And I, do, I don't, you know, you remember uh, Obama's slogan, like, hope? Yes. Well, that's all fine and dandy, and that's a powerful statement. But there's nothing more powerful than hopelessness. 
you know, or, t- or giving people hope and then taking it away. <laughs> it's like, it's like, a, like a dream dozer, you know what I mean? You have a dream and then all of a sudden here comes a bulldozer and fucking <laughs> knocks it all down. Yeah. I, f- I, f- I feel like, I mean, because people are making less money, they have to work more jobs. It's like, it is just wearing people down. I mean, I know people who have two, three jobs to fucking survive. And I'm like, I, I'm maybe I'm lazy, but I can't like I couldn't do that. <laughs> it's like it's and yeah. I mean it's got to be a lot of people in this country I think are so demeaned by the system that they can't even fucking see it anymore. Yeah, no, they are, and it's like you know you're they're willing to fucking you know eat shit because that's what's available, you know? And it's just like, well, what choice do you have? Then here's another fucking spoonful of shit. Gobble it down. I mean, honestly, it's like I, I was working in, in treatment for the last four years and I got laid off from my job in March. And I'm, so I'm one of those unemployed people. And, you know, my tour got canceled with the circle jerks. You know, I don't know. I'd be in, in like, I don't know where I'd be right now, Japan or Italy sitting on a beach eating fucking shrimp or something, you know? And, you know, it was supposed to make a whole lot of money this year. And so, I, you know, in, in working in treatment, I was trying to be of service. And yeah, I got paid a, a, a little meager paycheck. But I thought, oh, oh, now I've been fucking, you know, furloughed from my job and I haven't gotten a call back. And the stimulus is running out on the unemployment, and I don't know, you know, if you know dates for the circle jerks keep getting pushed back to like spring and summer of 2021. But I don't even know if that's a reality. The way things are going, so selfishly, I'm fucking pissed off at people for not fucking like you know going with the fucking science and being, you know, it's not that they're not wearing a, a fucking mask. Or just, you know, being fucking dumb skis and fucking jackassholes. It's that they're just like, you know, they don't give a shit about anybody else. And that's a big bugaboo for me, man. You know? Yeah. That's a big bugaboo. Because I fucking care. I've devoted my life to caring and sharing and and adding rather than subtracting. You know what I mean? And, And destroying. Um. If people buy that, you have a T-shirt coming out with a single, right? So people should buy that, and that that will go to go to you, correct? <laughs> and, but, well, a portion a portion of it will go to the Joe Strummer Foundation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and a portion of it will go in my fucking pocket because you know what? You know, like the, I'm going to continue with my rant: the devaluation of music even before the pandemic has now turned all musicians into forming monkeys with a fucking tin cup in, in, you know, in a remote location, you know, hey, begging for like a little bit of Venmo change, you know what I mean? And it's like, you can buy my single, you know, for 99 fucking cents, or you can stream it for a penny. It doesn't fucking matter to me because I can't make a living playing music. Nobody can. You know, except for the people that, that already have, and they were in the castle when the castle doors closed, you know. <laughs> so it doesn't matter to me. Look, I'm putting this out in the world. I made something, which is what I can do, and I'm making a video for it, which is another thing that I can do, and putting stuff out into the world. Does it hurt anybody? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> No, it makes the world a better place. Your songs are, uh-huh. your music's great, and that's that's the truth. Um, well, see, there's payment right there. There's there's the new form of payment. <laughs> is a, Matt Dwyer said that my music is great and it's making the world a better place. So I've been paid in full. That and a fucking nickel will buy me a cheese sandwich, Matt. <laughs> I'll buy you the cheese sandwich. I'll make you a cheese sandwich with bread I bake myself, and I'll drop it off at your fucking house. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I like to hear. I will work for a cheese sandwich. I'll play a song for you for a cheese sandwich. (laughs) 
I do make good pizza. I could I could drop you off a deep dish pizza. Would you like that? Please drop <laughs> off anything. <laughs> Send help. Send food. <laughs> Um, but, you know, I don't want to be a fucking performing monkey, and I thought maybe people would value music more as well, and I'm continuing with my fucking rant. It's like, well, guys, have some fucking dignity. Maybe we should fucking let the world see what it's like to not have fucking music. Stop fucking getting on there and, you know, playing fucking shitty covers, ruining songs, playing shitty covers of it, singing out of tune on your fucking iPhone or your iPad. Sucks. <laughs> so, so, so I'm guessing there's no uh, uh, Zoom concerts in your future. I've done a couple of them. You know, I was very opposed. You know, my my thoughts was like my thought was like, well, the virus is not an opportunity for me. And I was very, you know, I became a politician. You know what I mean? I had a very definite view uh, that that served my agenda. And then I started to loosen up a little bit, and I was like, you know what? I'm not like a hack. I, I can play pretty well, and I can write a good song and sing, so I'll do a couple of these things and see what happens. And the truth of the matter is is that based on people seeing me play Straight to Hell on a like some weird Zoom concert and uh, posting it, a lot of people, like, uh, resonated with it and, you know, liked it and shared it and, you know what I mean? Um, so I was like, well, hmm, you know, maybe we should put this out. But, uh, you know, I don't know. It's weird, like, because I, I posted today, like, I'm going to be having a conversation with Matt Dwyer later on and, you know, where it's, it's like I could say, ow, my balls. Like, I just racked myself and get, like, 457 <laughs> people liking that post. And then I say, yeah, I'm going to be doing this fucking pod, great podcast, and I get, like, 22 likes. You know, is it algorithms? What the fuck is that? I think people just dislike me. I think it comes down to uh, people dislike me, even if they don't know me. Yeah. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I like you. I, I mean, from you know our conversation, I like you a lot. I like you a lot, Alec or Xander. I called you Alex, like an idiot. What are you, my mother? Am I in trouble? <laughs> <laughs> Alexander Joseph Schloss, you get down here right now. <laughs> um, to wrap it up, where can people find the single? And the is there a website for the label? I know there's an Instagram. Yeah, I mean, right? We don't. Website is an archaic sort of like thing, and it's like if there's if there's need for it later on, we'll make a website. But right now, you can follow us, Piece of Pie Music on um, um, Instagram and on uh, Facebook, and you can find the, the single on all streaming services. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I'll post all that yeah. in the show notes. Yeah, and the video is going to come out, you know, uh, on Joe's birthday, and the T-shirt is going to come out on Joe's birthday. We've been also looking for a premiere partner for the video, and uh, it's not surprising that Rolling Stone, Spin Magazine, Billboard, everybody has passed on it, you know. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll find, a like, a punk zine or something to, like, you know, be a premiere partner and, and they'll have an exclusive on the video and I'll do a, a little print article or whatever. Um, what about one of those websites but, uh, like Brooklyn vegan or uh, what's there's another, there's a local one. I can't think of it offhand. Any of those motherfuckers? Sid the cat Sid the or cat. whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there are, there are places. And I, I started to think about it. I was like, yeah, no shit. Rolling stone pass. No shit. These, these, you know, because it's like Straight to Hell and The Clash and Joe Strummer are, are a punk rock thing. You know what I mean? And, and Rolling Stones is now kind of like a corporate publication and damn corporations everywhere. You know what I mean? And damn the fucking uh, the status quo. And, you know, like the, the person that was sending it around was like, well, the editors need a story for for us to, you know, for them to justify putting it out. Like, why are you doing it? And I was like, 
Why do I fucking need a reason to fucking get your fucking scumbag editors to, uh, you know, give me the thumbs up? What? You know, it's like, I'm fucking Xander Schloss, motherfucker. Fuck it. <laughs> so, right. But uh, anyway, you know, so, <clears throat> you know, we'll find a premiere partner and the video is going to be great. And, you know, just please you know, spend the 99 cents for the single so I could buy cat food for my cat Wolfie and get myself another can of coffee. <laughs> now who's the fuck? Now who's the begging chimp with the fucking tin cup? Uh, well, thank you very much, Sander. I really have enjoyed this greatly. Me too. very much for listening to conversations with matt dwyer do me a favor subscribe to the podcast remember to rate and review it and if you like become a patreon supporter at patreon.com slash matt dwyer conversations with dwyer also listen to my friend's podcast hunk by mike bridenstine and kill gallon's pub with joe kill thank you so much for listening i look forward to seeing you again